Welcome to Wizard Studies. Join us as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Audrey. And I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about, I don't know if they're everyone's favorite because we established the last episode that they're not our favorite, but the two <laughs> most well-known house elves, Dobby and Creature. So a little continuation from our last episode where we talked about house elves in general and Winky and Hokey, and now going to focus in on the two bigger characters that are house elves. Yep, and uh, just quickly before we get started, just a reminder to everyone, um, so this is the first episode that comes out actually during Pride Month, so don't forget to send us donations if you're interested in taking part of our fundraiser. Um, we'll link all the information. It should be already all over our social media, but we'll con- uh, continue to add the link to the GoFundMe in the episode descriptions for the rest of the month of June. Um, so... Feel free to donate what you can, and if you want buttons, we'll send you our pack of three buttons. We really appreciate it. Um, Like we mentioned in the last episode, the money that we raise is going to be donated to True Colors United, which is a program that helps queer homelessness, or reduce queer homelessness. And youth, yeah. Yeah. Thank you in advance for everyone, to everyone who donates or supports in some way. Even if it's just sharing the information with a friend. Yeah, for sure. And like we mentioned last episode, feel free to donate as little or as much as you can. We appreciate everything that we get. So it doesn't matter if it seems small. It really does mean a lot to us. So getting started for the episode, um, the first character that we're going to go through is Dobby and then we'll go through Creature. So they're kind of like two mini character profiles. This is set up similar to our like Seamus and Dean episode. So starting with Dobby, his name is Dobby. (laughs) And according to the Harry Potter wiki, according to the Oxford (laughs) English Dictionary, a Dobby is an old English word for a benevolent elf that would perform household tasks secretly in the night, like the elves and tales of the elves and the shoemaker. <laughs> However, just as those elves disappeared when the shoemaker made them shoes, the Dobbies were said to disappear when offered clothing, also called a brownie, which we talked about in our previous episode. A Dobby is also a small mechanical part in a loom that enables the weaver to create small geometric patterns. So, fun fact. Um, But that's very similar to the descriptions of the inspiration we talked about in the last episode that J.K. Rowling might have drawn from to create house elves in the first place. Yeah, makes sense that the first house elf we meet in the series is basically named after the inspiration. Yep. So Dobby's birthday is June 28th with an unknown year. Um, so actually his birthday is coming up if you're listening to this episode in June. We really have no idea how old he is, especially because we don't really know like how else, how selves age and how long they live. It They seem to live really old. Um, I think we're going to talk about with Creature, like JK said he lived like 600 years. Um, but really unclear. He is old enough to remember when Voldemort was in power, and he says this in 1992, so 
it kind of seems like he was at least 20 when he died in 98. Um, that would be putting him at like 14 when Harry was 12. So like he had like the last two years of Voldemort being in power at least. I would put him on the young end. So like maybe in like 20s uh, because he seems to act really young. And also like, I feel like that's like such a youth thing with him being like rebellious and forward thinking about independence and like getting paid for work and stuff. I don't know, that could just be personality traits, but it kind of feels like it's like the like liberal youth. <laughs> I don't know. So we really have no idea, but probably born, uh, definitely born before Voldemort um, di or died the first time. So before Harry was born basically. Could we also, so like he's the one who tells Harry that the Chamber of Secrets was open before. Do we think that that's a memory that he has or do we think that's just information he's gained from living with Lucius Malfoy? Huh. I feel like it would be information he's gained from living with Lucius. Yeah. Because I mean, if it was, I guess if it was a memory, it could be like a memory of the Malfoys talking about it in like the 50s or 40s or whenever it happened. Yeah. Yeah. But that that also is true. He could be, like, at least... Like, he could have been born, like, in the 40s, and that could have been something that happened while he was alive. And then he would be, like, 50s, which maybe still... Like, would that's also young a, for a house elf, Yeah. So. If we're saying that creature lived to be, what, like, 600? Yeah. It's very... It's all it's very so unclear. Yeah. yeah. He just acts so, like, childish, kind of. Yeah. Too. like besides just being like the like rebellious nature like he does he's not very mature yeah I don't know it's it's like it's hard to think of him as older than Harry because I feel like Harry's always the one that's like don't do this <laughs> anyway uh, well we do have a year for his death date so he died in late March of 1998 good year good year so but I'll talk. We'll talk about his death later. <laughs> okay. Um, I go in a little bit more in depth about that. So. Okay. And then for like people that were his masters, um, the Malfoy family, some unknown date through 1993, presumably like he was born into servitude for them or slavery, however you want to look at it. And then himself, Dobby is a free elf. Um, so we can presume that the Malfoys treated him pretty terribly because of how he like clearly doesn't like them. He says that they were bad masters. He wanted to um, be free. So, yeah. So his physical description is described <laughs> as being... About three and a half feet tall, large tennis ball-like green eyes, a pencil-like nose, a, and long bat-like pointed ears. So this has always kind of like thrown me off because the description we always hear about Javi is his eyes being like tennis balls. And then whenever I take a quiz or there's trivia and it asks me about what color Dobby's eyes are, I associate them with green, but that's because like tennis ball, but it's almost like this double bluff because green is actually the correct answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it seems like you just think of green because they're always sh described as being tennis ball like, but they're actually green. So Are they green in the movie too? Probably not. They're probably blue. 
I'm looking up. No, they're green. They're green. Oh, okay. And they're actually kind of like tennis ball like Like they're like greenish yellow. Are you looking at a picture from Chamber or from Deathly Hallows? Um... Because the animation is drastically different between the two movies. Yeah. Also, this photo from Chamber, they might be blue. It's, like, dark, so you can't really tell, but they look a little bit blue. (laughs) But then there's another one from Chamber where they look green. So I think that was just the the color. Lighting, yeah. (laughs) He's so creepy looking. (laughs) Um, And then his favorite clothing item is socks, of course get a little bit more into that later sorry my chamber of secrets book was holding my place in the order of the phoenix book so i had to <laughs> move things around okay so dobby's first mention comes in the chamber of secrets in the chapter dobby's warning so right before this is right at the beginning of this chapter at the end of the previous chapter it's actually kind of ominous it ends with Harry crossed into his bedroom on tiptoe slipped inside closed the door and turned to collapse on his bed the trouble was there was already someone sitting on it like that's really creepy but then we learn that it's Dobby so this is the beginning of chapter two of the chamber of secrets Harry managed not to shout out, but it was a close thing. The little creature on the bed had large bat-like ears and bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls. Harry knew instantly that this is what had been watching him out of the garden hedge that morning. As they stared at each other, Harry heard Dudley's voice from the hall. "'May I take your coats, Mr. and Mrs. Mason?' The creature slipped off the bed and bowed so low that the end of its long, thin nose touched the carpet. Harry noticed that it was wearing what looked like an old pillowcase with rips for arms and leg holes. Er, hello, said Harry nervously. Harry Potter, said the creature in a high-pitched voice. Harry was sure would carry down the stairs. So long has Dobby wanted to meet you, sir. Such an honor it is. So that's the first time we meet Dobby. It's very on brand. Yeah. This scene in the movie is actually pretty good. I think it's very well done. I like Besides the, the animation. Of, well, I I personally like Dobby and Chamber of Secrets better than I like Dobby and Deathly Hallows, oh. his animation. In Deathly Hallows, he looks more human-like. Mm. I think like toddler like and he's super cute and he's super funny and Duffy Hallows like that scene where he's like and then and he keeps on trying to like cut creature off is super funny but I do think I like the house elf animation better in Chamber of Secrets than Duffy Hallows but Duffy's little tiny velcro shoes and Duffy Hallows I think are the cutest things I've ever seen in my life so um okay Oh my god, I'm looking at Dobby pictures again, and there's a baby dressed up as Dobby. Oh, we can, like, knit the little hat oh just with the ears. Oh my god, it's, it's so, so cute. cute. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, now I'm going to talk about Dobby's personality type. So this one I found difficult, um, but he... I signed him ENFP, which is the campaigner. A lot of different... A lot of people on... The internet had very different ideas, like, probably, like, four different, um, there were, like, four different articles or sites saying four different personality types with him, so I went with the one that I thought fit best. This is the same personality type that Ron, Tonks, and Dean have. 
Um, so I think it's one of the more popular ones for ones that uh, we've assigned. So just an overview, they've now added this section to 16personalities.com. So it just says, <laughs> these people tend to embrace big ideas and actions that reflect their sense of hope and goodwill towards others. The vibrant, Their vibrant energy can flow in many directions. And that kind of stood out to me. I think Dobby is definitely big idea and action guy when you think about Chamber of Secrets. Um, but he's he's very well-intentioned um, and kind and sympathetic. And his uh, energy is certainly a defining uh, character trait, I think. So the campaigner personality is a true free spirit, which I just liked that sentence because Dobby's a free health. And they're often the life of the party. But unlike types in the explorer role group, campaigners are less interested in the sheer excitement and pleasure of the moment than they are in enjoying the social and emotional connections they make with others. Charming, independent, energetic, and compassionate, the 7% of the population that they comprise can certainly be felt in any crowd. Um, so I think we don't see him interact with a ton of characters, but the like emotional connections that I think he forms or feels for, to Harry, obviously, and Winky, uh, I think are pretty strong. Harry, he's, like, obsessed with him and will do anything for him. And he really values that friendship that he has. Like, he always wants to brag about it. And then I think with Winky, obviously, we don't see, like, their friendship as, like, a lot of back and forth because Winky is depressed and an alcoholic and struggling with that but I think Dobby does seem to truly care about Winky and want her to be happy um and I think like if we knew I guess we don't really know if they like knew each other before Dobby kind of found her um and brought her to Hogwarts or any of that but like there does seem to be a connection there at least on his side that he um is like very compassionate towards her and wants to help her campaigners will bring in energy that oftentimes thrusts them into the spotlight held up by their peers as a leader and a guru but this isn't always where independence loving campaigners want to be worse still if they find themselves beset by the administrative tasks and routine maintenance that can accompany a leadership position campaigners self-esteem is dependent on their ability to come up with original solutions and they need to know that they have the freedom to be innovative they can quickly lose patience or become dejected if they get trapped in a boring role so I think, well, the independence loving, I loved that describer of him or uh, descriptor of him, but the, I think like if the Hogwarts house elves had wanted to like rally around a cause, um, or be paid, not that they would really need to fight for it because like Dumbledore offers all of them payment, but I think Jobby would be like their natural leader. I can see him like leading kind of a revolution or if... <laughs> Like, he had lived to the Battle of Hogwarts. I think he would have been, like, leading the charge in that fight um, alongside Creature or maybe, like, before Creature. And then the original solutions part really uh, stood out to me because his way of stopping Harry from getting to Hogwarts were certainly original and innovative, if not maybe the right way to approach things. I just wanted to quickly say that we actually do know that Dobby and Winky knew each other before then because at the Quidditch World Cup, Harry calls Winky Dobby because it's the only household he knows. Oh. And then Winky's like, I'm not Dobby, but I know Dobby. 
Good, so I think that catch. like just in general, most of the house elves like kind of all know each other. Yeah, probably. Especially because like the the people like we talked about in the last episode, like the families that has that have house elves are these like old mm-hmm. prestigious families that probably all like intermingle with each other anyways. So I assume that their house elves kind of know each other as well. Yeah, good catch on that. I think also with like Winky being crouches house elf like a ministry family in the Malfoys. Yeah. Like Lucius doesn't really work at the ministry, but he's just like involved in the ministry. It's very yeah. unclear what he actually does, but I, I can see him and he does anything. Yeah. <laughs> I can see him and Dobby like showing up at Crouches to like yeah. Lucius trying to get Crouch to do something. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like he takes Dobby like with him many places. Um also weird that Harry, I forgot about that. Harry calls him Dobby or calls her Dobby. Yeah. She, he's just like Dobby. She's like, like, oh, like, nope. house. <laughs> uh, and then Ron's like, so this is a house. <laughs> okay. Um, being in the mix also gives them a chance to connect emotionally with others, giving them cherished insight into what motivates their friends and colleagues. They believe that everyone should take their time to recognize and express their feelings and their empathy and sociability makes that a natural conversation topic. Again, I think like emotional connections, the relationships that we see, see him form and like empathy, um, or maybe it's more like sympathy with wimpy, with... (laughs) with Winky, <laughs> I was saying too many MP words, um, with Winky is definitely, like, a, a trait that we see coming through, um, with how he, like, deals with her. The campaigner personality type needs to be careful, however, if they rely too much on their intuition, assume or anticipate too much about a friend's motivations, they can misread the signals and frustrate, frustrate plans that a more straightforward approach would have made simple, Obviously, Dobby doesn't really approach anything straightforwardly. Um, he definitely, there definitely are other ways that I think he probably could have approached trying to stop Harry from going to Hogwarts or trying to protect him. Like, one that came to mind is, why doesn't he just find Dumbledore and tell him what Lucius is planning? I mean, yeah, Dumbledore's probably a hard man to pin down. But it seems more logical to like go to an authority and say Hogwarts isn't going to be safe than to tell a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. I mean, I guess the problem with that is that he can't share why. Mm. Because the mouth, like Mr. Mouthway is his master. So he could just be like, I mean, and I honestly do think that Dumbledore would trust him because Dumbledore is very, like, he trusts people when they come to him with things. Yeah. But maybe Dobby, like, wouldn't, would think that Dumbledore would be like, what, you're stupid. I also don't think he thought through. No. Like, that Harry wouldn't just listen to it. Like, I don't think that was anywhere. I don't know. He, his ways are very roundabout. Like they're very creative. Yeah. Like, sealing the leathers. Yeah. It's very innovative. But wouldn't that also, I feel like he didn't anticipate that just, like, backfiring and just motivating Harry more to go see his friends because he hasn't heard from them in so long. Yeah. I don't know. He doesn't think things through that well. No. Um... So campaigners are very emotional and sensitive. 
when they step on someone's toes, they both feel it. Um, Dobby is certainly emotional. I think this is also kind of like where his youth, like seeming like he's young comes from because he like very clearly needs to feel like reassured by Harry and he kind of like gets gets afraid whenever like he thinks that he's upset Harry in some way and even when Harry's clearly very annoyed he has to be like no no it's okay don't worry Dobby even though Dobby's made this like huge mess for him Uh, (laughs) okay so then strengths we have curious observant energetic and enthusiastic excellent communicators know how to relax and very popular and friendly um kind of I feel like he's very friendly not necessarily popular yeah (laughs) very energetic and enthusiastic yeah and I think like curious observant I mean he did spy on Harry so that's yeah uh, yeah like kind of kind of a fit there and then weaknesses poor practical skills which is huge <laughs> um find it difficult to focus overthink things get stressed easily highly emotional and independent to a fault i think stressed easily and highly emotional i can see um independent to a fault i just i think that's funny yeah like there there was a lot in this personality type about being independent and I don't know that he's really like an independent person or house elf but like he's free so yeah just like in comparison to the other house elves he's like radically independent right right but but he still like needs guidance on a lot of things yeah yeah so next we're just gonna go through Dobby's involvement throughout this series book by book so I'm going to go through Chamber of Secrets and how he interacted with Harry and how he met Harry um this picks up right from where I stopped reading the first mention so we first meet Dobby at Privet Drive and he's trying to warn Harry not to go back to school so the ways that he tries to get Harry either to not go to school or to leave school are he steals Letters from his friends all summer, so Hagrid, Hermione, and Ron. He tries to get him expelled by doing magic in the house, which we talked about earlier and how I was wondering why house health magic shows up the same. Harry does, in fact, get a warning from Mafalda Hopkirk about doing magic in, like, away from school. He closes the barrier to Hogwarts, to the Hogwarts Express to try and make him miss it. Um, so Harry and Ron, this is when they have to take the flying Ford Anglia to Hogwarts and then get stuck in the Whomping Willow. And then he rigs a bludger to attack him during a Quidditch match, which his reasoning was so that Harry would get so injured that he would have to be sent home, but he wouldn't kill Harry, which is just like such flawed logic because even if Harry was so injured that he couldn't complete the rest of the school year, they would probably keep him at the Hogwarts infirmary if not. I guess give him he they they would never bring him back to Privet Drive, which is what I think Dobby says he hoped would happen. Like he would either be left at the Hogwarts hospital wing or be sent to St. Mungo's. Yeah. Also, to injure him enough that he would be incapacitated for the rest of the school year when they have, like, magic healing by a bludger is just also flawed logic. Because if we're assuming that bludgers can basically only um, cause, like, physical pain, that's, like, the easiest thing for Madame Pomfrey to fix. Like, 
Again, not well thought through. <laughs> no. So he knew about the plans for the Chamber of Secrets being opened, which is why he's trying to warn Harry not to go back to Hogwarts, because he is the Malfoy's house elf, and this is obviously Lucius's plan. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, he was the one who let slip to Harry that the chamber had been open before. This happens when he's visiting Harry in the hospital wing after he loses all the bones in his arm, courtesy of everybody's favorite teacher, Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> And then at the end of the book, this is when Dobby really gets his shining moment. <laughs> so he shows up to Hogwarts with Lucius because Lucius goes to confront Dumbledore about why he's back at the school because Lucius had um, orchestrated the coup of Hogwarts, getting all the board members to vote Dumbledore out. So Dumbledore comes back after the chamber is like reopened and Dumbledore is like, well, after speaking to the members, I some of them were under the impression that you would curse them if you if they didn't vote against me or like something like that. Um, so Lucia shows up to confront Dumbledore, and Harry then like puts it together that I think in the movie Dobby's like pointing to Lucius, pointing to the diary, and then Harry puts it together that Lucius gave the diary to Ginny Weasley while they were in Diagon Alley. And so Harry takes the diary, is like, Dumbledore, can I borrow this? So he takes it, he takes off his sock and puts his sock in the diary. This is where it starts to deviate from what happened in the movies. So in the book, he hands the diary to Lucius, he opens it, Lucius sees the sock and is like, you ignorant boy or like you annoying boy and he throws the diary and Dobby catches it so we talked a little bit about like why this considered why this was sufficient enough to set Dobby free and I think that one thing in particular that's important to mention is that in the book Lucius knew there was a sock in it Whereas, like, in the movie, he doesn't. So I think that's a big difference. That's important in the mechanics of Dobby being set free. But also, like, Lucius just throws it. He doesn't give it to Dobby either. Like, it just passes from Lucius's possession to Dobby's. I don't think he had any intention of giving it to Dobby. So that's kind of confusing. Yeah. So I don't, I still don't really understand why this was good enough. And like we mentioned earlier, why if house elves do laundry, that's not good enough. But isn't the the diary in the so- sock, not the sock in the diary? Oh, I don't know. In the wiki, I didn't go back and read from the book, but in the wiki it said that Lucius opened it to find the sock. Oh, I'm on the, <laughs> I'm on... Lucius's wiki and it says he accomplished this by wrapping the diary in his own sock this is Harry before handing it back to Lucius Dobby then caught the sock after Lucius carelessly tossed it aside oh so maybe he just tossed the sock then not the diary and the sock yeah also did you talk about how I don't know in the book if it says that Lucius like starts to say Avada but in the movie they have him start to say Avada yeah I was gonna talk about that in a second and then Dobby like blasts him down the flight of stairs yeah okay so in the book it said 
Mr. Malfoy, he gasped, gasped, skidding to a halt. I've got something for you. He forced the smelly sock into Lucius's hand. What the? Mr. Malfoy ripped the sock off the mm. diary, threw it aside, then looked furiously from the ruined book to Harry. You'll meet some the same sticky end as your parents one of these days, Harry Potter. They were meddlesome fools, too. He turned to Dobby and said, come. And then Dobby goes, Master has given Dobby a <laughs> Dobby is free so i mean i think the sentiment still stands that lucius wasn't throwing the sock to dobby he yes. was just throwing it but that is, makes more sense than him like giving the diary which had a sock in it yes for sure like i think it does come down to the fact that lucius knew there was a sock involved yeah not yeah. just the diary which is what the movie portrays yeah so that's a little confusing, I think. But as we learned in last episode, there's lots of confusing things about house elf magic and yeah. especially in how they're bound to their masters. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So this infuriates Lucius. And like Audrey mentioned earlier, he goes to attack Harry. And I believe it's only... Why did I just close the book? I should have continued to look. As I think it is only in the movie when that happens, when he starts to say Avada Kedavra. Like, what the fuck? Why did... <laughs> That's <Ooh>. wild. <laughs> yeah. But... What would have happened? See, I feel like... Is yeah, that a whole other episode? Only... I feel like we should... <laughs> It is only in the movie. Because Lucius Malfoy just goes, You've lost me, my servant, boy. And Dobby was like, You shall not harm Harry Potter. Because Lucius lunges at Harry. He He doesn't even get his wand. He just lunges at him, and Dobby's like, Stop. And then he um, goes, like, yeah, there was a loud bang, and Mr. Malfoy was thrown backward. He crashed down the stairs three at a time, landing in a crumpled heap at the landing below. He got up, his face livid, and pulled out his wand. But Dobby raised a long, threatening finger. You shall go now. You shall not touch Harry Potter. You shall go now. Okay, Dobby. So, he, Dobby then protects Harry, and he's free as a consequence of these actions. And then... In an ironic twist, which we will go on to explain throughout the next couple books, Harry asks Dobby for just one thing in return for setting Dobby free, and it's never try to to save my life again, Dobby. Which is funny because in every every book after this, taking out Prisoner of Azkaban, Dobby saves Harry's life, actually. Yeah, like successfully. Yes. (laughs) So. Yeah. Wait, in... Half-Blood Prince? Hmm. What is... When is Dobby in Half-Blood Prince? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Well, in Goblet of Fire, in Order of the Phoenix, and in Deathly Hallows, yeah. Dobby goes to save Harry's life successfully. Yeah. We'll get to it. Or at least he tries yeah. to in Order of the... Order of the Phoenix is a little bit <laughs> of a stretch, but... Okay, so, yeah, Dobby isn't in Prisoner of Azkaban, like Katie said. So then, moving on to Goblet of Fire. Um, after being freed, Dobby kind of bounced around a lot, struggling to find work because he wanted to be paid. And all, obviously, no one actually wants to pay their house elves. Because why would you do that if you could have 
free labor. One for free. (laughs) So he ended up at Hogwarts eventually, and he got paid a galleon a week with one day a month off. Like Katie was talking about last episode, Dumbledore offered more, and Dobby kind of like talked him down. He was like, that's way too much. Can't accept that. Um, so throughout Goblet of Fire, Dobby takes care of Winky. We see this a couple times in the kitchens where Winky's just, um, drunk on butterbeer, like passed out or something or inconsolable. And Dobby is like trying to take care of her. So then at Christmas, Harry, uh, (laughs) Dobby, Dobby shows up Christmas morning to give Harry his present. And Harry's like, oh yeah, I have a present for you too. And he, like, digs through his trunk and he finds um, the socks that he got from Uncle Vernon's old socks that the Dursleys gave Harry for his birthday in Prisoner, I believe. Um, and so he gives those to Dobby as a, as a Christmas present. And Ron is there and he's like, oh, yeah, like, I've got a present for you, too. And he gives a pair of, like, violet socks that Molly had sent him. I think Molly may have knitted these herself probably um and Dobby goes Dobby did not know that he was also as generous of spirit as noble as selfless and Ron's just like they're only socks (laughs) but he had gone slightly pink around the ears so he was a little flattered by Dobby yeah but then Dobby proceeds to give Harry his Christmas present and it's also socks So he gave him uh, one red sock with broomsticks on it and one green sock with snitches on it. Is your mom making those for you? Yes. Oh, Not awesome. like yet, but She's they are on to. her to-do list. Oh, awesome. Because if you guys follow us on Instagram, I posted that picture of the Cornish pixie my mom knitted me. And that pattern and a pattern for green socks with snitches, my mom is going to have to create her own pattern for the red with broomsticks. But the green socks with snitches and the pixie pattern both come out of this knitting book that is the official Harry Potter knitting guide or whatever. It was put together by a knitter named Tannis Gray, and so she curated all of these patterns from her and from other knitters, and it's all just a Harry Potter knitting pattern book. That's awesome. Good little shout out there. It's weird that they don't have the red broomsticks, though. I know. Hannah, come on. You like, she liked my inst- the Instagram post of the Cornish Pixie. Oh, so. nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, Dobby also knitted these socks. <laughs> Speaking of knitting. And he bought the wool with his new wages. So cute. <laughs> so then later in the book, Barty Couch Jr., disguised as Moody, tricks Dobby into stealing gillyweed for Harry, which is, this is different than it is in the movies. Um, so he's fake moody is like talking in the staff room to mcgonagall and he's like i wonder if potter will figure out like to use gillyweed um and dobby is there listening because barty coach jr does it specifically because dobby is there and so dobby is the one that like wakes harry up the day of the task and is like dobby cannot let harry potter lose his wheezy meaning (laughs) ron but harry doesn't know who that means um yeah go ahead sorry also this is connected to the socks because the reason why fake moody knows to use dobby is because he goes like nice socks potter and then here he goes dobby the house elf knitted them for me yeah it all comes back it's all very important (laughs) um so yeah dobby gives him he stole the gillyweed from snape's 
stores and he gave it to Harry and again saved his life or at least like saved him from embarrassment. Uh, So Harry then resolves to buy Dobby tons of socks as thanks and Harry and Ron actually do go like to Hogs. The next time they go to Hogsmeade, they pick out socks for Dobby together, which is like, this is so cute. And so they picked out a bunch, including, quote, a pair patterned with flashing gold and silver stars, and another that screamed loudly when they became too smelly. Which, I don't think Dobby's the most hygienic, so probably. Yeah, probably quite annoying. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of socks, there is... Socks do hold kind of a comical amount of importance throughout the Harry Potter series, just like with the amount of times that they're mentioned and socks, like a lot of the times that they're mentioned are in conjunction with Dobby, but another notable time where they're, yeah, that they're mentioned is Dumbledore mentions them. Um, I think when he's asked what he sees in the mayor of Erised and he's like a nice wool pair of socks. They're just kind of something that are, that's reoccurring throughout this series that is fun to think about and mention. Yeah. I think we could do an episode on socks, honestly. We probably could. (laughs) So the next book that Dobby appears in is Order of the Phoenix. So I believe this interaction happens because like Harry falls asleep in the common room or something and Dobby is cleaning the common room. He's like, oh, I've been waiting so long for a chance to run into you, Mr. Potter, like Mr. Harry Potter. and stuff. <laughs> Mr. Harry Potter. Um, and so during this interaction, Harry kind of like offhandedly, jokingly asks Dobby if there's any place that he, because this is when they're trying to find a place to host DA meetings. And so he asked Dobby if there's any place he could think of that would work for that. And Dobby is like, actually, I do. There's this place called the Come and Go Room um, that we that we house elves know about. And I've used multiple times to help Winky recuperate. And so when Dobby needs it, when he's with Winky, it is a like kind of infirmary. Like there's beds, place for Winky to sleep. I think there's like a fire maybe. I could be making that up. But, so, Dobby's the one who um, shows Harry the removal requirement, which, like, Neville really just, like, steals Dobby's thunder in the movies because Neville's the one who gives Harry the gillyweed and the goblet of fire when, in fact, that was Dobby. And Neville's the one who finds the room of requirement and shows it to Harry for the Dum- for Dumbledore's army when, in fact, that was Dobby. So, just a um, reminder there. And... A notable point in the Order of the Phoenix where Dobby shows up is that he decorates the room of requirement for Christmas that year before a DA meet and Harry walks in and there's like pictures of his head everywhere and I'm pretty sure that it says like have a Harry Christmas instead of have a happy Christmas (laughs) and Harry's like he like says to himself like I'm very thankful I got here early before anybody else did. Sorry, isn't there something about, like, the ornament or the baubles are, like, Harry have his face on or something? Yeah, I think so. And it's, like, somebody walks in just as he's putting the last decorations away or something. Um, So that's pretty funny. But then later when Dobby plays an important role again in Order of the Phoenix, he's the one who shares with the DA that Marietta Edgecombe had ratted them out to Umbridge. And the reason he's able to do this is because he's technically still a free elf, so nobody is his master, whereas like other Hogwarts house elves cannot share things they overhear. Hmm. 
he is able to and he explains that he is way more loyal to Harry than to the Umbridge woman and to Hogwarts in general but so this uh, this is also brings up more things to talk about in how how selves are compelled to punish themselves because <laughs> Harry still is like Dobby I forbid you from punishing yourself and he's like thank you Harry Potter because like he would still feel compelled to punish himself for betraying his master even though he's free and also Harry's not his master so Harry so like this makes no sense I know (laughs) so to me that means that sorry that the punishments are not magically compelled but it also means that like Dobby can, once you're free, or maybe any house elf can just choose who to listen to. Like, can house elves really do anything on their own? Are they... Can they ever be free? Yeah. Do they have free will? Yeah. Like, do they ever have free will? Like, are they... Have they ever... um... Frick, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Autonomous. Oh, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) So that just adds a lot of confusion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't. I'm not even going to try and figure that out, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the Half-Blood Prince, Dobby is not really in it that much. Um, Harry does ask Dobby and Creature, because at this point Creature is at Hogwarts, which we'll talk about later, but Harry asks Dobby and Creature to tail Draco to find out where he's going. So again, this is when Harry's obsessed with Draco. Um, And (laughs) Creature is a little git, and he's like, when he reports back, he's like, like Katie was saying, he talks, he like gives detailed, like, Draco ate breakfast in the Great Hall. Um, But... And then he says something about, like, Draco would be a better master than Harry is. And Dobby beats him up for this and knocks out some teeth. (laughs) Oh, my God. Which, like, if we're guessing their ages correctly, I mean, we have no idea, really. But, like, Creature seems old and Dobby seems young. So, like, that's not not really a fair fight. Um, But Dobby then says, like, Harry's a great wizard and the Malfoys were not good masters. So he's, like... Very defensive there. And then he's the one that, like, tells Harry that Draco is going to the room of requirement. Um, he also tells, like, somehow Harry finds out that Dobby wasn't sleeping because he had told him to do this. So Harry was like, you can, like, you have to sleep, Harry. I think he kind of orders him again. It's, like, a yeah. similar thing where he, Dobby then... Not that, like, this is a little different because it's not, like, contradicting his, like, feeling that he needed to punish himself, but... Yeah. I think Dobby's just is afraid to do anything <laughs> without being told. <laughs> yeah. He's he's a product of how he was raised, his environment, like... Yeah. He was, all, like, all his life, the majority of his life, he had to do everything he was told, so now he's, like... Harry says tail Draco he's like yes I will sir I will not do anything else (laughs) I I feel like this calls into question that if house elves are bound by magic to do anything or if they're just like 
and to have this innate sense of loyalty to just do whatever their masters tell them and to like abide by the rules yeah wait what if there's really no magic making them do it yeah that would be like mind blown that'd be some serious like psychological conditioning right that's crazy that's a good question. Honestly, I you you could convince me that they're not actually bound by magic because also, wait, uh, I feel like all this stuff we should have talked about on the house elf episode, but like how is it the magic just automatic or like when you get a new house elf, do you have to like make this like it's like unbreakable vow type thing? Yeah. I don't know. It's all just very ambiguous. Yeah. I think we used that word like 50 times last episode and we're still using it because we, I'm just even more confused. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, anyways, in Deathly Hallows, so <laughs> this was like kind of amusing to me, but the wiki has a section in the Dobby page about his relationship with Aberforth. And so it's like this very, it's like, Dobby, feeling alone and making no friends at Hogwarts, found friendship in Aberforth and spent days on end at the hog's head. And Aberforth created this connection with him, this obvious bond or whatever. And there's no sources attached to it at all, except for like the chapter in Deathly Hallows when Harry Bray- like tells Aberforth that Dobby died and Aberforth's like, oh man, that's a shame. <laughs> So, I don't know. Sounds like he's really I mean, torn up about it. Yeah. <laughs> a true friend. I mean, I guess that that, like, f- story, whether it's true or not, which I'm leaning towards not true, does, like, fill in blanks and how Dobby and Aberforth came to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. But... <laughs> So this comes into play because when Harry and company are trapped in the dungeons in Malfoy Manor, Harry becomes so desperate that he takes out the shard of Sirius's mirror that he's been carrying with him. And this is super funny because I believe in the movies, it, he like keeps it in his sock and he takes it out and Luna's like, that's an odd thing to keep in his sock. <laughs> because it's like sliced Harry's ankle because it's a freaking shard of glass <laughs> Anyways, so he, like, looks into it and is like, help, help, we need help. We're in the basement of Malfoy Manor. And at this point, I believe Harry's convinced that it's, like, Dumbledore because of the green twinkling eye, or the blue twinkling eye. But then Dobby shows up. So Dobby is able to disapparate and apparate into the dungeons of Malfoy Manor, like we mentioned earlier, because again and again, Voldemort and his followers continue to discount and look over less what they consider lesser beings who end up being more powerful than they think and end up being their downfall. Mm -hmm. So Dobby's able to disapparate and apparate people to Shell Cottage, which Ron is like, Shell Cottage on the outskirts of Tinworth, I believe is what he says. Um, And so then Harry and Ron... After a great scene and a great payoff of Pettigrew strangling himself (laughs) with the hand after helping Harry and Ron, I love that. I I love that. Um, Ron and Harry go upstairs to try and save Hermione, 
Bellatrix then like has Hermione by the throat with a silver knife and Dobby drops the chandelier on her which in the movie is very funny but the scene I have many problems with in the movie okay but it's so funny when they all stop and he's just like and they continue to not move out of the way they're They're all just like "Hmm, what that's curious again I have many problems but that scene is very comical and then in the chaos, this is when Harry rips the wand out of Draco's hand, thus making him the master of the Elder Wand. Just some bullshit, my opinion. But then Dobby all of a sudden feels like he's, di- or Harry feels like he's disappearing. He feels Dobby's hand in his. He feels like, oh, we're safe. And then they land at Chill Cottage. And just before they had disappeared, Bellatrix had thrown the knife at Harry, I believe, and it hits Dobby. Is it at Harry? I don't know if it's at anyone specific. I thought it was at Dobby. It said at him, Mm. which I believe referred to Harry, but that wasn't warning from the book. It was warning from the wiki. So again, I don't know how much we can trust them, but she throws it at them and it hits Dobby and Dobby dies right at Shell Cottage, and it's super sad. Yeah, it is really sad. And then Harry takes the death really hard, and he decides to dig the grave, not using magic. And he carves in the grave's headstone, Here lies Dobby, a free elf. And him digging the grave without magic is important because it wins um, Kirkpook's like respect trust yeah the Dobby's whole death I mean first off in the movies it's like I feel like it's sadder for me in the movies than it is in the books because like it's toward it's like right at the end of Mm -hmm. part one and you're like really like I feel like at the end of movies you're always like kind of a little emotionally fraught because a lot of stuff has happened yeah um in the movies I don't know the whole like in the books I think it Makes it seem like he got hit with it before they actually disapparated. But in the movies, yeah. it like the knife like goes through, like it, like looks like it like yeah. goes through like a portal. Like I don't know. Yeah, disapparating the movies is just like not only is it terribly inconsistent, but like it's just not. They're supposed to disapparate like instantaneously. Yeah. Like it would not work that the knife yeah. was thrown after they had already started disapparating. Like that's not yeah. a thing. It also like in the movies it's like slow-mo and Bellatrix throws it like so late. I know. And her face is like Yeah. And then it's just like the hair like flies. I just I have lots of problems with that scene in the movie because not only does Bellatrix throw it so late, but they literally have, like, a five-minute discussion before she throws it where she's just holding it, staring at them. And he steals Narcissa's wand. And she's like, how dare you take a witch's wand? And then Dobby, like, gives this, like, empowering speech that lasts, like, 15 seconds. And am I supposed to believe that Bellatrix didn't throw the wand until after he was done? Like, ugh. Um... Also, so I, like, was reading on the wiki, I think it points out that, like, Dobby is one of the few characters killed not by, like, not in a magical way. 
yeah. if the knife the knife just seems to be a, a normal knife um yeah. which I thought was interesting and then that got me thinking like do they really not know healing magic well enough to because yeah. it like hits him in like the tor- it's not like it hits him in the heart it. yeah I just I, I don't know like maybe since he's so small like he loses a ton of blood really quick like he loses yeah. blood quickly, and, like, that's, like, a large percentage of his total blood volume, but, like... Yeah. And Harry's yelling also, for, like, the potion from Hermione, yeah. but... and Hermione, just, like, the... Okay, part of the... Another reason why that scene really bothers me is because, like, not to discount the torture that Bellatrix, like, carried out on Hermione yeah. in the movie, but, like, in the book, it's supposed to, like destroy her mind yeah like it is like i'm pretty sure she uses like the cruciatus curse like yes. it's supposed to be some serious shit and so like that's why hermione can't help because she's like dealing with her own shit but in the movie she's just like kneeling and it seems like she's just unwilling to help yeah like she's just given up yeah. which i think is like very not hermione but like in the book that's explained because like she's, she's like, like barely conscious barely on stand. her own yeah yeah anyways yeah, I don't, the whole thing, it, like, seems like, in the movie, obviously, it seems like they could have saved him. In the book, it, I'm also, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like Harry should have known. Yeah. But, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, final thoughts on Dobby. Wow, that was, that took us a while. <laughs> um, um, yeah, go ahead. I, I like I don't know we talked a little bit about this before but I think that not that I think that Dobby is like an overwhelmingly annoying character but I do think that he does get a little bit of like rose tinted glasses by the fandom just because of how he's portrayed not only in the movies but like his death and how like tragic that is and how it like hits Harry super hard. Um, but like we mentioned before, I think that discounts like all the times that Harry was like super annoyed and fed up and like didn't even really like Dobby. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't, I don't have like a bunch of feelings about Dobby. Like I think he's a fine character. I think his death is very sad and I think he's like an important character, which is easy to forget because of the movies as yeah. well. Yeah. I think his death is sad to me, not because I like really love him as a character, which I feel like a lot of people do, but his death is sad because it's another one of those, like, not that he's like innocent. I mean, like he does fight and like choose to help and stuff, but he does have this very like innocent quality about him. So I think that's what the sad Mm -hmm. part about his death is. Cause it's like, he's always just been like, you, you see him kind of as like a little kid. Um, and so I think that is why it's like, the death feels particularly gut-wrenching, and I think the point that it comes in the book, I mean, obviously, like, Hedwig and Moody have already died. Like, a few people have already died, but... It's still before the Battle of Hogwarts when you're, like, bombarded with Right, and, like, that, his point, his death in the book is, like, a real turning point where, like, okay, like, things are gonna pick up. Yeah, there's, like, the few, like, weeks or whatever that they're at Shell Cottage, but, like, basically from his death, it's, like, planning Gringotts breaking, Gringotts breaking, Battle of Hogwarts, like... Things move very quickly after that. Um, I think, yeah, maybe we, like, last episode we didn't... Maybe people are, like, not even listening to this episode because we, like, said a few bad things about Dobby. But, like, I don't know. I just... 
I never was as sold on him as the rest of the fandom is. I think I, I enjoy him and I think like a lot of the stuff that he does is really cute. I actually think the stuff that he does that's in the books and not in the movies is better. Like him in the movies, like he's only in two and seven. Mm-hmm. I, and I just like... And I think that the only reason he appears in seven at the beginning when like he's not supposed to is to like reignite this um like feeling that the audience feels towards Dobby so that his death at the end is more emotional because he shows up in Grimmauld Place when like Creature was supposed to go and find Mundungus like Dobby also comes back with him which Correct me if I'm wrong, like, is not in the book. I think the first time we see Dobby in Deathly Hallows is in Malfoy Manor. Yes. Because so, well, Creature he, isn't in the seventh yeah. movie. No. No, he's in that scene. Oh. He's, like, a little bit in the seventh movie, which always really bothered me because they, like, gloss. He's in the seventh movie, but he doesn't do, like, the whole, the whole story. regular story. Yeah, line, okay, okay. Which is the... Which is super annoying because the only reason he was in Order of the Phoenix at all for like two seconds was because J.K. was like, you have to include Creature. He becomes important. Right. And then they don't even include the important shit about him in Deathly Hallow. So it's just... He's not... A, even the... He, like the important part of him in Order of the Phoenix isn't there with him lying to no. Harry. No. Like he's literally in one scene at the beginning when they're so in Gribble Place. Annoying. Like he just like mumble... Walks past Harry like mumbling or something. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think house elves are one of the, like, groups of characters that are done really dirty by the movies. Like, yeah, D- Dobby being left out of four, five, and six, Creature being totally erased, Winky and Hokey being totally erased. Like, Hokey's not that, not that important, but, like, Winky's really important to the plot of a whole movie. Yeah. It's not even, like, I feel like the consequence of Hokey being erased is, like, the memories are ruined because yeah. they don't even include them. Yeah. it's just it's easy to forget how important all of these these poor characters particularly Dobby and Creechie are creature Dobby and (laughs) Creechie Dobby and Creechie are to the plot lines yeah for sure okay (laughs) anyway before we rant more about the movies um Dobby does have a drink in the Archie Thomas amazing I was surprised when I saw this I was like what I don't remember seeing yeah but I feel like Dobby's pretty popular the creature doesn't have one yeah. Um, so Dobby's drink is Dobby's Downer, and it's a it's a shot. So it says this drink is pleasant enough, but you wouldn't want to spend an entire evening with it. Therefore, best deal with it in small doses. After drinking, that's a perfect description for Dobby. <laughs> after drinking, you have to say Harry Potter in Dobby's voice. That was really bad. Um, so it's it's one part vodka, one part triple sec, and one part lime juice. Um, oh, yeah. I think- that sounds good. It's basically, because, like, triple sec and lime juice are, like, the ingredients of a margarita besides the tequila. So it's, like, if you, like, made a little bit of a margarita but put vodka in and then just took it as a shot. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and it's, like, very green because of the lime juice, so it's kind of the color of his eyes. His eyes, yeah. Yeah. Cute. Okay. On to Creature. <laughs> I know, looking back now, I feel like we could have done an episode for each. But this is just going to be a long one, folks. Welcome to our summer series. (laughs) All right, buckle in. Creature. (laughs) His name is Creature. Uh, And his name 
According to the wiki, his name is most likely derived from the word creature. <laughs> Pronounced the same way, but like a magical creature or an animal or yeah. something. And it's reminiscent of the German creature. <laughs> yeah. Which is spelled K-R-I-E-C-H-E-R and derived from creechen, meaning to creep, crawl, cringe, grovel, tuckle, or fawn upon. Hmm. I feel like every single one of those words means something different. <laughs> yes. The creep, creep and crawl, okay. Cringe. Grovel, grovel. tuckle, fawn upon? I don't even, I guess grovel and Grovel and fawn upon. I don't know what tuckle means. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what tuckle means either. I feel like this name is like, it's just the sound that fits in more than the actual yeah. meaning. And, like, I think that it sounds differently when you say creature, like, the house elf versus creature. Like, it's yes. got a different... Yeah. It's like when people think that, like, Mary, Mary, and Mary. Yeah. Yeah. All sound different, yeah. you know? Okay. <laughs> Anyways. So, we alluded to this a little bit earlier. So, like, his years <laughs> that he's been alive are... So, he was born between the year 1351 and 1979. So there's, um, what is that, 600 years discrepancy that he could have been born in, or born during. And then he died between 2017 and 2645. So again, a 600 year gap that he could have died. <laughs> so... I, I assume this this came from J.K. Rowling, this information, the date. It's, yeah, it's in that information that I put down there. Yeah, so J.K. Rowling was probably joking um, and was accused of inserting the Mark of the Beast 666 into Harry Potter via Nicholas Flamel's death. So J.K. Rowling said in a tweet that creature died after the book's at age 666. So kind of like poking fun at people who criticized her for like alluding to the number 666. She did it again. As such, he could have been born anywhere between 1351, which would mean that he died in 2017. So again, after the books, to 1979, which is the earliest date we know for certain that he was alive because this is when he and Regulus entered the cave. And this makes the latest date he could have died 2,645, 666 years later after the cave incident. So, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so that really tells us nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> his masters were the Black family, um, including... Regulus and Walburga and all their ancestors. And also Sirius, but I singled out Sirius alone as, like, his next master because that's kind of different. And then Harry Potter was his master for a bit. And it's unclear what happened after the series. Like, did Harry ever free him or did he, like, work? Because he, he works at Hogwarts at one point. So we don't really know. So maybe himself or maybe Hogwarts or maybe he continues to work for Harry. Yeah, I could see that Harry 
maybe learned his lesson kind of thing from freeing Dobby and maybe made like, like Dobby wanted to be free. So that's a little bit different, but maybe he like more consulted creature on the fact like, Hey, do you want to still technically be my house elf, but like work at Hogwarts and be completely like free of me Yeah, and maybe not face the ridicule, ridicule that Dobby did. Like I could see it kind of going either way. Yeah. So he's described as having a bulbous snout-like nose, which is very interesting because it's like the complete opposite from Dobby's nose. Mm -hmm. And so not at all what they show in the movies. Um, Yeah. His bloodshot eyes, many folds in his skin, and white hair growing out of his bat-like ears. He is supposed to appear quite old to us, I believe, when we meet him in Order of the Phoenix. So. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so his first mention comes in Order of the Phoenix in Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimwald Place. So the first time we hear his name is... The meeting's over. You can come down and have dinner now. Everyone's dying to see you, Harry. And who's left all these dung bombs outside the kitchen door? Crookshanks, said Harry, said Ginny unblushingly. He loves playing with them. Oh, said Mrs. Weasley. I thought it might have been Creature. He keeps doing odd things like that. So that's the first time we hear his name in passing. But then later on, Harry inquires, Who's Creature? He asks. The house elf who lives here, Nutter, never met one like him. Hermione frowned at Ron. He's not a Nutter, Ron. His life's ambition is to have his head cut off and stuck up on a plaque just like his mother, said Ron irritably. Is that normal, Hermione? Well, well, if he is a bit strange, it's not his fault. Ron rolled his eyes at Harry. Hermione still hasn't given up on Spew. I just think Ron being like never met a a house elf like him is like you've met Dobby. He like kind of knows Dobby. And then... yeah. I guess they've been to the kitchens at this point, but, like, he's not actually met those house elves. So what, like, he didn't even know what a house elf looked like before they saw Winky in the booth. Yeah. Anyway. (sighs) Oh, Ron. (laughs) So, Creature's personality type, I actually think was a bit easier than Dobby's. Um, I've assigned him ISTJ, which is the logistician and it's the same as Kingsley so their defining characteristics of integrity practical logic and tireless dedication to duty make logisticians a vital core to many families as well as organizations that uphold traditions rules and standards such as law offices regulatory bodies and military people take people with the logistician personality type Enjoy taking responsibilities for their actions and take pride in the work they do. When working towards a goal, logisticians hold back none of their time and energy, completing each relevant task with accuracy and patience. And I think if we look at, like, what we can assume Creature was like with the Black family, like, before Sirius was his soul master, he was extremely devoted to them. And, of course, while we see that, like, their beliefs are pretty terrible and they're prejudiced people, like... There's a great amount of traditions and standards that come with their family, you know, like the whole noble house of black, or the ancient and noble house of black. Um, So I think that, like, fits really well with this personality type and creature. Like, he is kind of vital to the black family, at least house elves and his family were vital to them. And, like, he is very guided by the traditions and standards that he was, like, raised to believe in um, with... Walburga Black 
particularly. And it seems like he genuinely did enjoy enjoy doing his job and fulfilling his duty for them. And then we see this kind of when he's cooking, cleaning for the trio in Deathly Hallows, you see this like joy that he seems to get from um, like having a master that he likes and appreciates. And like there's a, at least some level of respect there as opposed to him and Sirius. So logistician personalities are no nonsense, and when they've made a decision, they will relay the facts necessary to achieve their goal, expecting others to grasp the situation immediately and take action. They have little tolerance for indecisiveness, but lose patience even more quickly if their chosen course is challenged with impractical theories, especially if they ignore key details. If challenges become time-consuming debates, logisticians can become noticeably angry as deadlines tick nearer. I don't really know where this would apply to Creature, like, we don't really see him making decisions, but he certainly is not, like, very tolerant, um, at least at first, and he gets angry very quickly, so I think this more accurately describes, like, how he acts when he's, um, when Sirius is his master. So... When logisticians say they are going to get something done, they do it, meeting their obligations no matter the personal cost, and they are baffled by people who don't hold their their own word in the same respect. Combining laziness and dishonesty is the quickest way to get on the logistician's bad side. Consequently, people with the logistician personality type often prefer to work alone or at least have their authority clearly established by hierarchy where they can set and achieve their goals without debate or worry over others' reliability. And this, to me, was just, like, his devotion to finish the task Regulus had given him and destroy the locket. I mean, it was basically an impossible task for him. Like, there's no way, like, he didn't even really know it was a Horcrux. There's no way he would have known how to destroy it. There are very few ways to destroy it. But nonetheless, like, he worked pretty tirelessly to do that. And years later, we see that he still really cares about, like, fulfilling this task. The sense of personal integrity is core to logisticians and goes beyond their own minds. Logistician personalities adhere to established rules and guidelines regardless of cost, reporting their own mistakes and telling the truth even, even when the consequences for doing so could be disastrous. To logisticians, honesty is far more important than emotional considerations and their blunt approach leaves others with the false impression that they are cold or even robotic. People with this type may struggle to express emotion or affection outwardly, but the suggestion that they don't feel or worse have no personality at all is deeply hurtful. Um, The part about adhering to like rules and guidelines definitely works with how he saw like black family traditions. And I wonder if he would have been like this kind of like, I don't think he ever would have disobeyed them, but I wonder about the honesty, like if he ever did, he would have done that. Um, But... The idea of, like, them being very cold, obviously, he is not the most welcoming when we first meet him. Okay. Um, their, their dedication is an excellent quality, allowing them to accomplish much, but it is also a core weakness that less scrupulous individuals take advantage of. Logisticians seek stability and security, considering it their duty to maintain a smooth operation, and they may find that their co-workers and significant others shift their responsibilities onto them, knowing that they will always take up the slack. So I think this kind of reflects his relationship with Sirius again. Um, This could be like how he saw Sirius as kind of coming in, taking advantage 
of being the heir to like the Black family fortune and estate, I guess, um, taking over the house, taking advantage of his service. You've got to try to see that from Creature's point of view, like that that would be a really hard thing to deal with. So they need to remember to take care of themselves. Their stubborn de- dedication to stability and efficiency can compromise those goals in the long term as others lean e- ever harder on them, creating an emotional strain-, strain that can go unexpressed for years, only finally coming out after it's too late to fix. If they can find coworkers and spouses who genuinely appreciate and complement their qualities, who enjoy the brightness, clarity, and dependability that they offer, logisticians will find that their stabilizing role is a tremendously satisfying one, knowing that they are part of a system that works. So we definitely see Creature like let himself go, but he gets kind of renewed um, energy with the trio being kind to him and kind of finding this role to play in the war. Um... And I think that is like the, that Harry and the trio like appreciate him and respect him in a way that he didn't have with Sirius and that like with Sirius not respecting him, he became like less, less, um, dependable, less stable. Okay, then strengths, we have honest and direct, strong-willed and dutiful, very responsible, calm and practical, create and enforce order, and jacks of all trades. I think we get those, like, strong-willed and dutiful really come through, um, and, like, enforcing order as he sees what the order, what order should be. And then with weaknesses, stubborn, insensitive, always by the book, judgmental, and often unreasonably blame themselves. That last one is, like, Mm. all, all ourselves everywhere (laughs) but I also think he feels this responsibility for Regulus's death um and then like stubborn and sensitive and judgmental all all fit really well yeah I like that a lot so now we're gonna shift into a little bit of his treatment by different groups or different people So we're going to start out with his treatment and relationship with the Black family and specifically Regulus. So Creature and his family had been serving the Blacks for generations as we see with the multiple house elf heads mounted on the wall in Grimmauld Place. I just want to point out that it's very interesting that a family as old and as noble as the Blacks chose to live somewhere that's like basically in the muggle world unlike someone some people like the Malfoys who literally have their own estate very separate Mm -hmm. um their building is literally shared with muggles so that's interesting maybe they were there before the muggles I don't know how magic dwellings like that work But he had been listening to the beliefs and the views that the Blacks have had for so long for his entire life. And that's what he, um, that's what he came to believe. Those became his views and his beliefs. And he also felt this extreme loyalty to the Blacks, especially like we see with Walburga, Sirius's mother, and then Regulus. And through this, he also felt extreme animosity towards Sirius because he left the family, he was a disgrace to the family, and he disappointed Walburga, who, like we see, Creature loves and is kind of obsessed with just a little bit. But Creature was working for the Blacks during the time that Regulus started to join Voldemort and his followers. And so at one point... 
Voldemort asked for Regulus's help and he said that he needed a house elf. So Regulus loaned Voldemort creature, but before he left, I believe Regulus said, make sure you come back when you're done. So Voldemort takes creature to the cave where he's hiding the locket and he basically uses this as a test run um, of his defenses and of the potion that you must drink to get to the locket. So Regulus found this uh, to be like honorable giving creature to Voldemort, but in the end, this is kind of what turns Regulus against Voldemort because creatures left alone to die and you must drink the potion that makes him relive the worst moments of his life. What, what's the, the, that potion like has a name. Oh crap, what is it? I'll look it up, you keep talking. Okay, um, but like I mentioned before, I believe that Regulus said before he left that Creature had to come back, and so this is how Creature is able to disapparate out of the cave by and disobeying Voldemort because like we mentioned before again Voldemort's arrogance and looking over creatures he sees as beneath them beneath him comes to bite him in the butt because creature is able to disapparate out of the cave and not die there and to report back to Regulus what he learned it is according to like a Pottermore former Pottermore article which I can't see anymore um, it's called the Emerald Potion, and then according to the soundtrack, it's called the Drink of Despair. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've heard it called something like Potion of Despair or something. Yeah, that might be like the name of the song on the soundtrack or something. Yeah. Um, so, a Creature is able, like I said before, able to separate and report back to Regulus everything that he learned and Voldemort's treatment of creature is what turns Regulus against him, which I don't know if this is like a great catalyst for that. <laughs> um, I don't know because it's not Regulus isn't just like I don't know, like, he doesn't turn against what Voldemort stand for, stands for and, like, his beliefs and <laughs> him killing people. He's like, oh, he mistreated my house elf when I loaned him to you? Like, when I loaned it to him? Like, that's just unforgivable. Like... I don't know how, I know like, that. I think it was very naive of him to not see that coming. Yeah. But I guess he is, like, 18 or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll probably do an episode on Regulus or at least, like, talk about... I don't know. We'll talk about him in a later episode that's more dedicated to him and not so much to Creature. But that, to me, is just kind of, like, a not-super-believable catalyst. Um, But, anyways. Creature and Regulus return to the cave. Regulus, this time, drinks the potion and replaces the locket with a fake locket and gives the real locket that's the real horcrux to creature and tells him to leave this is like very hard for creature because he doesn't want to leave regulus but regulus commanded him to so there's either magic or there's not magic that compels him to leave who knows at this point and regulus dies in the cave and 
Regulus made sure to tell Creature that he has to destroy the locket at all costs and that he can't tell his anybody in the family what went on. So Creature then tries for years and years to destroy this locket but is unable to and this kind of drives him insane. Like I wonder if we're kind of seeing the consequences of a house of not being able to or like not completing a task set out by mm, their master. That's interesting. Um I also, like, obviously Regulus might not have known the words that he said held this much, like, power over Creature, but it was kind of self, no, I don't know if selfish is the right word, maybe, like, maybe naive is a better word to, like, for him to command Creature to destroy it and not to, and also, like, tell Creature that he can't get help from anybody. Like, obviously he knows that this is something that Voldemort himself created and that is super powerful. So him kind of placing the onus on Creature to be, to like, to destroy himself is a lot. Yeah, but I think that he couldn't have, he had to tell him he couldn't tell anyone because yeah, if that fell into the Black family hands, like, they would just give it back to Voldemort. <laughs> Yeah, and I do believe that the wording, at least in the wiki, made it seem like it was specific that Regulus told Creature not to tell anybody in the family, which is why Creature's able to tell, like, Ron and Harry and Hermione later on, because they're not the family. Yeah. Also, doesn't, like, Harry command him to? Yeah. Again, really fuzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows. Um... Yeah, so like I said, Creature's unable to destroy it, and this kind of drives Creature insane. But I also think a big contributor to Creature going insane is that he's left alone in the house by himself for many, many years with only a portrait to talk to. So there's also that. Next, I'm going to go into his relationship with Sirius, which is a lot, and is a lot about Sirius, but I feel like you can't really talk about one without the other Mm -hmm. at the moment. So a little in your appetite for our series episode that will come at some point in the future. We already did but... a series episode. Oh my god. You keep forgetting these things. <laughs> it's like this running bit between us, but it's actually not a bit. Like, I cannot remember what we've done episodes on, ever. Uh, we did a series <laughs> episode, like, three months ago. Two months ago. Oh my... I don't remember. Obviously. <laughs> So anyways, going into Sirius and Creature's relationship. So to Sirius, Creature represents everything he hates. It represents his family. It represents the people who raised him. It represents the beliefs and the values that his family held. And it represents that everything. Creature represents everything that Sirius is trying to been distance himself with for his entire life. Um, and so I think it's only fair that Sirius does hate Creature because like also Creature's not the nicest to Sirius and I like I think it would be really interesting to see kind of like what their relationship was while Sirius was growing up because obviously Creature was there probably was very antagonistic and there were probably some things that happened between the two of them that we'll never know and that we'll never understand that contributed to the way that they treated each other 
I think that Sirius making the sacrifice to live and to use Grim Old Place as the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix is a very big deal to him because he hated this place. He hated what it reminded him of and this house represents again everything that he tried to distance himself with for his entire life and he had done so much to distance himself. He had been sorted into Gryffindor. He hated Slytherins. He'd been fighting for the good side against Voldemort. He, protect Muggle, he protected Muggleborns, specifically Lily. He offered to and was going to be secret keeper to help keep a Muggleborn safe from Voldemort. He moved out of this family home to live with James's family. And so this is just him kind of feeling like everything he had done in his life amounted to nothing. He still ended up in this place that he despises so much with people he hates so much, i.e. his mother, the portrait, and Creature. So Creature at this point is like more of a symbol than anything to Sirius. Like it just, he represents everything he hates in life, basically. <laughs> so I think it's easy for us to understand why he made a, might not have treated Creature the best. Also, Grimmauld Place is this house is these things that constantly remind Sirius of how much of a disappointment he was to his family, like his name being blasted off of the family portrait. Um, and he also, I feel like, feels a little bit of shame for having to expose his past to these people, especially to Harry. Um, like, letting Harry know about where he came from and about who his family is, I think, was really hard for Sirius. Plus, he was cooped up, which I think all of us can feel a little bit more sympathy towards. Um, so kind of all of these things, like I said, this is a, probably a little bit more about Sirius than about Creature, but it explains why Sirius treated Creature the way that he did. But I also think that if we give Sirius kind of the benefit of the doubt by looking about looking at closely why he treats Creature the way he does, I think it's unfair not to do the same thing for Creature and think about why he treats Sirius the way that he does. And it comes a lot to like, you are a product of your environment, which we've said before, but he really did idolize the Black family and Wolberga in particular. And he feels this like strong sense of loyalty to them, especially to Regulus. And so that's why Creature treats Sirius the way that he does. He thinks that Sirius is basically spitting on the legacy of his family and the family that Creature loves so much by bringing all of these mudbloods and half-breeds into the house and such and stuff like that and who they fight for and the fight that they're fighting is just everything is just so opposed to what Creature believes that the Black family stands for. So, yeah. That's my spiel on that. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it just proves that all actions have consequences. And yeah, this action and this consequence just happened to be serious mystery and creature and serious dying as a result of it. Yeah. So lastly, Ooh. I'm going to talk just briefly, because I know this is going quite long, <laughs> about Harry's relationship with Creature. So at first, Harry hated Creature and blamed Creature for Sirius's death, which, to be fair, I think is not um, unfounded. <laughs> but, like I said before, if we give Sirius the benefit, benefit of the doubt, we must also give Creature the benefit of the doubt and understand where he was coming from. Harry uses Creature in the sixth book and in Deathly Hallows. He uses him to trail Draco in Half-Blood Prince. And he made 
he commanded Creature to reveal the whole Regulus story to him. And after this, Harry does feel a little bit of sympathy towards Creature and he decides to give Creature the locket that was the fake that Regulus put back in the bowl that him and Dumbledore found. And this means the world to Creature. This this black quote-unquote heirloom which is interesting because then it made me think like what was the locket just something that like Regulus had made as just an exact copy to what Creature described or was this just like a locket they had lying around because in the movie it's like an exact copy for each other but I don't know if in the book we ever know whether it's an exact copy or if it's just like a locket that was lying around the black house. I feel like Creature might have described it to Regulus and Regulus might have been like I feel like it would have been common for, like, uh, wizarding families, like, so closely tied to Slytherin House, like, to have kind of, like, a replica mm-hmm. of Slytherin's locket. And that was yeah. probably something that, like, Regulus himself had because being in Slytherin House, like, maybe his parents had given it to him. I think that's why it's always kind of called, like, Regulus's locket. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, like, that makes sense to me, I think. Yeah, I like that. So... Whether it was an actual black family heirloom or whether it was a recreation, it still means the world to Creature to be entrusted with this thing. And also I think it means a lot to him because it reminds him of Regulus, who he loved. And so this is the turning point. This is when Creature starts to cook, starts to clean, starts to care for, starts to not call Hermione mudblood. It is, I will point out that Creature was never like, super super nice to her <laughs> he just kind of stopped being mean to her so take what you can get yeah um but again this just goes to show that it really matters how you treat people two things number one last night i decided to do the carmen san diego interactive thing on netflix and you can make two decisions throughout it where you can choose to like help one of your enemies and i chose to help them both times i know very helpful part of me but like those things you helping them comes back to help you later on so it really does matter how you treat people <laughs> number two I just want, I think it's funny um, to bring up, and I think this is really interesting. So I've talked to my sister a lot about kind of like reading the series for the first time, because as we've mentioned, we were kind of young, and I don't remember reading the series for the first time, and I don't remember reading the series without knowing kind of the whole outcome of what happens. But my sister is a little bit older than me, so she was able to experience that. And she remembers like R.A.B. kind of being like one of the biggest like fan theories and like how like people figuring that out between Half-Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows and how like it was actually fairly easy and people did figure it out because we had heard Regulus's name beforehand and so it was just a matter of like he's the only character we know of that had R and B as the first and last name so like A was kind of easy to like it's probably him but that was kind of like the first fan theory that she ever like looked into and was a part of so I think that that's fun. That's funny. That's cool. Oh, I wish we had that experience. I know. I'm sure, like, there were, I bet, just, like, so many online forums about it. Yeah. And I was, like, early years of the internet. Not early, but, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, I'm going to do a quick section on Creature's role in the Wizarding War, which I realized after Katie did that, like, a lot of this she already said. <laughs> um, but... 
So sorry for giving you that long section. But I think it's important to just highlight, like, the important, like, important roles he plays in the plot and the second Wizarding War. So in The Order of the Phoenix, uh, as Katie said, he complained about having to serve all the, quote, blood traders and mudbloods when 12 Grimald Place became Order Headquarters. Um, and then when Sirius told him to get out, this was when Harry and the Weasley kids take the portkey to um, Grimald Place when Mr. Weasley has gotten attacked by Nagini. Sirius yells at Crusher to get out, meaning get out of the kitchen where everyone is like congregating and grieving and freaking out. Um, but Creature, finding a loophole, as we talked about last episode, um, took this to mean get out of the house. So he jumped on this opportunity and he went to see Bella, Bellatrix and Narcissa. I almost just called her Bella. like um, Bella and Sissy. Bella and Sissy. Um, so... We presume that when he got there, he kind of, like, schemed a little bit with them, told them how important Sirius is to Harry, um, gave them just this kind of information, and I assume Bellatrix was like, okay, like, if you can ever get Harry to freak out, get Harry to think that Sirius is in danger somehow, like, do that. Um, (laughs) So then, of course, at the end of Order of the Phoenix, when Harry is freaking out, thinking that he has his dream and he thinks that Sirius is in or dream slash like planted memory type thing thinking that Sirius is in the Department of Mysteries Harry, Hermione's like trying to talk some sense into him and she's like why don't we just like use the flu network to try and at least contact Sirius before we rush off to the ministry and so Harry uses the flu network in Umbridge's office and Creature answers. It's like a telephone. (laughs) Harry asks if Sirius was there, and Creature lies. I assume he can lie because Harry is not his master. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, Harry then takes this as confirmation of what he's seen, and the whole battle of the Department of Mysteries happens, and Sirius dies. So, like, yes, Creature did play a huge role in Sirius's death. Um, like you were talking about, like, he had a reason to want Sirius gone, honestly. And he probably thought that he would go to Bellatrix or Narcissa after. And, I mean, there's a lot of fault to be placed in different, in different, on different people for Sirius's death. Including on Sirius and, obviously, like, a little bit on Harry. But Creature is one of those characters, too. So then, in Half-Blood Prince, Harry orders Creature to work at Hogwarts because he, like, doesn't really want to deal with him, but they can't just let him go because he knows so much. And then he also orders Creature to tail Draco, as I talked about with Dobby. And also, Creature gives him a box of maggots for Christmas, which, like, are house elves, like, forced to give gifts to their masters? Like, why would he go out of his way Yeah. to to think about giving a box of baggage instead of just not giving anything. <laughs> I don't know. If, I mean, I, I guess it would kind of make sense, but also I feel like every, any gift that a house elf would be able to give to their master, they would just be like, like, it'd probably be handmade. Like, they don't have any money to buy things. Like, this is true. I don't know. <laughs> I just imagine, like, creature going around Hogwarts, like, Finding, like, collecting, like, maggots, like... Maggots one by one. In the months leading up to Christmas, like... (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, so that's really all in Half-Blood Prince. There's not really much crucial to the war or anything. But then in Deathly Hallows, Harry, of course, learns Creature's story about Regulus. Um, and he starts to like Harry, be nice, cook, um, like Katie was saying, because of the locket. And he was actually... The, the, like, morning that they broke into the ministry, he cooked them a nice breakfast, and then he told them, like, there'll be a steak and kidney pie waiting for you. And I honestly, I'm sure he, like, figured it out. Like, he's not dumb. I'm sure he figured out that, like, something happened and they couldn't come back. But I just imagined him, like, sitting there waiting with that pie, like... Yeah, well, isn't there... So, like, they drop Yaxley off at Grimmauld Place, yeah. remember? Yeah. And so I think... One of the trio is like, what about Creature? <gasps> like, because what if he gets, like, captured? Also, why did he leave Hogwarts? Like, why was he able to leave Hogwarts and Deathly Hallows? I don't know. They don't explain that because, like, when... I guess maybe he left over the summer. Yeah. Because when they get... When they go there, it's still, like, before school would have started. Yeah. And then and maybe Harry's never... like, you can stay here. Because obviously... Yeah. But at some point he goes back to Hogwarts, probably like waits around a while and realizes they're not coming back. Um, maybe like Lupin or someone goes to Grimald Place again. Um, to like look for them, yeah. Yeah. So he ends up back at Hogwarts and then he leads the house elves into battle. So he's like shouting for, they, he's seen like leading the charge of house elves saying like fight for my master, um, meaning Regulus and also... Harry, I think. Um, so yeah, he does actually play a pretty big role at the end of Deathly Hallows. Harry says, like, at the end of the Battle of Hogwarts, Harry's like, I wonder if Creature would make me a sandwich. So it's, like, presumed that he survived the battle. Are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. So that was our talks on Dobby and Creature. I know that this was kind of a longer episode, but we couldn't really tell how much we were going to have to talk about between the two of them. Right. <laughs> so for our pop quiz, if you are a part of our Facebook group, you might have already seen this, and I'm going to plead again for you guys to join our Facebook group. I really want to create a Potter-loving community where we ha can have like good discussions on there, and it really does make it better the more people that are a part of it, so... Yeah. Join if you can and want to. 
But our question is, what is your favorite Dobby moment throughout this series? And so I'll, I'll read the listener response first. Leia said, when Harry and Ron give Dobby all their weird socks as gifts, one of the funnier parts of Goblet of Fire. And honestly, I probably agree. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good moment. It's so funny. I like that one. I also like, it's not really Dobby specific, but I really like the visual of like Harry and Ron going to pick out the socks, I think is like, yeah. the, it's like a continuation of that bit. So I think that the whole like sock thing, I think is so funny and I wish was in the movies. Oh, also thing the thing with socks, like when they go and visit Dobby at the like in the kitchens, Dobby's like, There's something wrong with your socks. They're matching. He's like, We'll take care of that, don't worry. Yes. It's so cute. It's so cute. Um, I think my favorite Dobby moment is when he decorates the requirement for Christmas, Harry themed. I think that's really funny. That's definitely my runner up. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's hard for me to pick a favorite Dobby moment because what I like most about Dobby is like what he stands for, not so much who he is as a character. Yeah. Like I really like the like his journey, like of being a free elf and being loyal to Harry and his death, like really affecting Harry. Like I think that like his story is what I like most about Dobby, not individually his interactions. You know. Right. 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 Okay, so you can find our episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, This is the start of our weekly episodes for the summer, so make sure you check every Tuesday. There'll be a new episode waiting for you, and please uh, rate and review. It really helps us grow. It helps um, people see our podcast when they search for Harry Potter, and it really makes our day when we see those. Correct. You can also contact us through social media. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Wizard Studies Podcast. And then our group on Facebook is Wizard Studies Podcast Group. And then you can find us on Twitter as Wizard Studies. And then you can email us at wizardstudies at gmail.com. Wizard Studies Podcast at gmail.com, sorry. And like I mentioned last episode, those are all the places that you can reach out to us to let us know that you donated and give us your address for the Pride Month promotion that we're running and fundraiser and button giveaway. Yeah. (laughs) All right. As always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. (laughs) 